Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two. One. All right, everybody, welcome. Here we are, Lanny. I'm we so are. excited about what well, I don't know what that what is. What is this? Oh, that's my favorite band. Have you got some real fish on? I is hope that not. are we going to get in trouble for that copyright? No, 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 we'll be fine. Lord, All right, I don't. you know, they played a concert at Big Cypress uh, for New Year's in 1999 when it went to 2000 hmm. at Big Cypress Reservation in South Florida. Oh. Well, there you go. Where a lot of I heard about I heard about that one. Yeah. So. yeah like, Were probably. you there? No, I couldn't go. Oh, I, I had some I had some friends there. Not I heard that it was pretty wild. Probably. Bobby, where were you? I don't know anything about that. Now, I might have wanted to go turkey hunting at Big Cypress, but not go down there and listen to a fish concert. Yeah. So. Well. Let, let's get this back on track, okay? So, look, this is uh, we've been planning this podcast for a, a while. Yeah, there's uh, I'm, I'm so excited to tell everybody our, our guest. There's this phenomenal documentary that's been made called "The Path of the Panther," mm-hmm. and it's about the the wildlife corridor in Florida and the Florida panthers. And you know, we we somehow panthers get brought up on our podcast more on than the regular. No doubt about else. it. We I mean, we love talking about them. Our guest today, we've got Carlton Ward. All right. Here we go. And Tori Lindner. <laughs> All right. And, and right. they're from this, uh, the Path of the Panther. I think it's the Path of the Panther Foundation. They'll they'll explain all that. But I'm just so excited to be talking to these people that, I know. that are so passionate about panthers. Well, you know, I, I went to photography school a long time ago, and, and my goal was to be a National Geographic photographer. I mean, that was like my life goal. I didn't and know of, this. Of course, it didn't happen. I'm, I'm now helping to run a tree nursery. Among other things, yeah. but uh, I'm I'm talking to National Geographic people, and that's just really exciting. So uh, that's like the, a really big deal. That is a big deal. Yeah, it is. So uh, Carlton, uh, well, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm a photographer. Work with National Geographic, based in Tampa, Florida. Um, like Tori, my family goes way back in Florida. I've got a lot of cousins who are full-time cowboys all throughout the Florida wildlife corridor today and um, <clears throat> kind of spent my career trying to connect the two worlds of the coastal urban world with the rural overlooked world in central Florida and kind of got into conservation and wildlife corridors through that. Wow. So you're actually a 
National Geographic photographer. Would that would would it be fair to say? Yes, I'm a National Geographic photographer, and also something they call explorer, which just means a grantee. I've gotten funding from the National Geographic Society. Fantastic. Yeah, that, 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 look, we'll get into more of that. So now we're looking at uh, Tori, Tori Lindner. Tori, tell us about yourself. Hi there. It's such a pleasure to be with you guys today. Uh, I'm based in Miami, Florida, similar to Carlton. Grew up spending time on my family's working cattle ranch here in Florida and have been advocating for the land and water we all love in this state. I am formally call it an impact producer. So I, I work at the nexus of storytelling and policy to ensure that communications we're producing results in, in meaningful change for our land here in Florida. Well, it was, that show was insanely good. Um, I watched it a couple of times and I want to watch it again. Uh, everything about it was just on point. It was fantastic. So we, uh, we, I watched it on Hulu, and I think I think the Disney app has it as well. It's, it's just it's popping out a bunch of places. I follow you guys on Instagram, and a few months back, um, that when it it was making me crazy, y'all had released it in Florida at theaters, and we're up here in Mississippi, and I couldn't see it, but I just had to wait and wait and wait, and y'all finally made it available. It's the most incredible documentary. I've, I mean, it's just Lanny. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um. And yeah, I want to learn more about, you know, your camera traps. We're all hunters and we like to put cameras in the woods and uh, take pictures of our deer and turkeys. And sometimes we get crazy with it and point it, you know, like on a log crossing on a creek and try to get other cool critters. Uh, but the system you guys used was really fancy. Um and the results were amazing. So I want to, can y'all tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. You know, fancy is kind of a synonym for frustrating <laughs> because, because I've, I have some off the shelf trail cameras from the outdoor store that we use for monitoring and scouting. And you slap the lithium batteries in those and put them on the tree. And six months later, they're still working. Sure. Um, our cameras, it's a, uh, kind of a different deal we either running a sony mirrorless camera a nikon dslr and a waterproof box um custom infrared trigger systems we, we work with a company called cognosis now that makes kind of systems based where we now when we started out we'd be sitting out in the swamp braiding three strand wire together building like a christmas tree of wires in the swamp to carry the signals from the triggers to the cameras to the flashes and try to somehow get it all to work at the moment an animal comes through. Now we've got some wireless systems, which helps, but we're basically picking a spot on a trail like you would for any kind of trail camera, but trying to do it in a way that communicates something about the environment and the habitat where that animal lives, often using a slightly wide angle lens. So you're up close and getting a lot of detail and then, you know, for the still photography, it's just a single moment that you're trying to capture. So we have infrared triggers that are separate from the camera, either active laser beam or passive infrared, like a cone motion detector, different tools for different setups. And then it's all about setting the stage and waiting and, and waiting and waiting and waiting <laughs> because with, you know, a couple months go by, you get a picture of a panther. You're like, awesome. 
And then you're like, oh, yeah, I've got to get a National Geographic caliber picture of a panther. That means I've got to have some emotion. I have to see one of the eyes. Um, so automatically you're going to get 50% butt shots. So when you go for the eyes, so you end up taking your odds down. And so on average, the photographs that in, ended up in the National Geographic story and in our recent book, Path of the Panther, it's about two years of effort in a single location to produce one of those useful images and a couple of the pictures, one at a wildlife underpass where there's a black and white picture where the panther are coming under in a semi-trailer up above or another one where there's like a young panther weaving through the cypress knee straight at the camera. Those took five years in those spots to produce those pictures. Wow. You've got, you've got to go back once a month to change the batteries, but the grass grows so fast and things change so quickly in the swamp. We were averaging every two weeks having to send someone out to babysit these cameras, either me or our team of technicians and people we worked with at the path of the Panther project. So, uh, you know, in, in the documentary, you can see all the, 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 this, the way they've set up these cameras and the, the, in the trap, as they refer to them, it, it looked to me like a, as a deer hunter and, uh, uh, Carlton and we, that it looked like you had so much stuff in there. It, it would freak a cat out to, to walk through that. What, what did y'all go to any effort to try to reduce your scent or, I mean, did you, was that a problem at all? It's funny, you know, in, in the beginning, you know, you've got all your palmettos cut, like you're setting up a duck blind, you're like hiding everything and you've got camo netting, hiding the cameras and the tripods. And then, you know, the months and the years go by and you realize it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, like I think there's such fixtures in the landscape at that point. Because, you know, it's not like we were moving these things around every every two months to a new spot. They were there, you know, and the, our biggest problem was bears because they're, they're curious buggers. And we, we had a kind of a policy. Everyone carried a big, like, 24 ounce of Purell in their door pocket. And we'd scrub our hands down with alcohol before we'd touch anything. Because if you have a trace of a snack on there, chances are your camera is going to be in the dirt next time you come to check the batteries. I feel like this is a good time for Carlton to reveal that he kept ginger snaps in his pockets <laughs> <laughs> full time for two years. Yeah, I well, that scent, Terry. <laughs> got to qualify. That was we 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 got we got a little distracted with something called the ghost orchid, and so we're out there building these camera traps for panthers, and then these scientists from around the country and Cuba were there in the same swamps trying to study ghost orchids and it turns out we didn't know what pollinates them and they're trying to put a bushnell camera or something on a pointing at a flower thinking they're gonna get a moth that shows up for less than a second and i'm like mm, well i've got some tools that might be able to help with that so we ended up trying to help solve a scientific mystery of what pollinates the ghost orchid and pointing a few cameras at orchid blooms that are active for like a couple weeks during the middle of the summer and that was when I would carry ginger snaps because I was like, there's these moths don't care. No one, no one's going to be af offended by the scent. And, and, you know, they're a little bit crunchy when you come take them out of the box. <laughs> but if you leave them in the front of your field shirt out in the swamp for about a half a day, they get just the perfect consistency. Hmm, nice. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, so let, let's kind of backtrack just a little bit and talk about the panthers themselves. Um, uh, it, it, there's not many of them left. Uh, and I, I, a few years ago, I read a book called cat tales by Craig Pittman. And, and it, I, I was just kind of, it really got me, um, uh, 
kind of curious as to just how many of these things are left. And, and we, we, the thought that they might be going in a bad direction. I mean, it just, can't, it's, boy, it's just, it's just a terrible thought because these things are so wild and so beautiful and just, they represent so much of what we used to have. I mean, through watching the documentary, it's demonstrated that these cats were all over the United States at one time. And it, that population has kind of been reduced down to this little small area in Southern Florida. And I'm talking, I really want you guys to talk, but can you talk about how many of these cats are left and, and what might could be done to for, for and, and how important this wildlife corridor is to trying to protect what's left? Sure. Well, I'll start speaking a little bit about the Panthers history and then um, kick it over to Carlton on the wildlife corridor front. So you're spot on. The, the puma has historically ranged across all of North and South America with tremendous success, frankly. Um, but the Florida Panther is the last remnant of the Eastern Cougar, the Eastern Puma, which used to range all the way to Maine. It was, um, frankly hunted to extinction over the 18th, 19th century. Um, and you know, in 1970, the population hit a historic low with less than 30 individuals found in Southwest Florida, this kind of last remnant of um, the Eastern Cougars population, which became known as the Florida Panther. And what's happened over the last four or five decades is truly an incredible recovery story. You have a big cat making a comeback at a time when big cats across the globe are in decline. So as of um, Today, FWC, our, our Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission, estimates that we have somewhere around 200 adult um, panthers, but these animals are still facing remarkable threats. Habitat destruction, habitat fragmentation is the ultimate challenge, and frankly, not just for the Florida panther, but for wildlife and biodiversity globally. Um we're seeing a remarkable number of these species of these of these cats lost in vehicle collision. It's the leading cause of death for the Florida panther, seconded only by um, interspecies aggression, which really speaks to that need for more habitat. A Florida panther needs a remarkable amount of space. A female panther needs 40 square miles of, of breeding range. A male panther needs 200 square miles of breeding range. So that's about four times the size of the city of Miami. Yeah. Um, right. And so you can really quickly start to see why something like a wildlife corridor is so essential to the future of, of the panther. And I'll let Carlton speak to that. No, that's great perspective on the biology and the natural history of the panther and you know just to reiterate like Tori said those 20 panthers that were existing and discovered to still be in the southern tip of Florida in the late 60s 1970s you know that that was the only breeding population east of the Mississippi River at that time <clears throat> and still is today like the only female pumas female panthers in known existence east of the Mississippi River are still in Southern Florida. Um, and a big deal happened in late 2016. There's a river called the Caloosahatchee that runs from Lake Okeechobee over to the Gulf Coast in Charlotte Harbor near Boca Grande. And 
that had been the dividing line. Male panthers had been wandering the Florida Peninsula and beyond in recent decades. That 200 mile, 200 square mile home range, the fierce competition, it pushes any young male born down south to go try to find its own territory. It's certainly plausible that a panther born in Florida has walked through Mississippi. Um, there was one shot by a hunter on latitude with Atlanta over by the Alabama border 11 years ago. And it had a pit tag where it was, it is traced to a litter of panthers. It was born in the Ocala Coochie Slough State Forest in South Florida. Um, so that's maybe unfortunate that panther was lost, but it tells the story that there was still like enough connected green space for a cat to get from the Everglades to Atlanta. Um, so, so that that's, that's a positive side. The, the goal now is for the female panthers to move further. And Tori mentioned the numbers are up to 200 for to be considered no longer endangered. The recovery plan calls for three populations of 240 or more panthers. So we've got to like roughly triple the panther population for genetic stability. The only way that's going to happen is having access to three times as much land. So it has to no longer just be the South Florida panther. It has to be the Florida panther once again. And that's going to mean a breeding population in the northern Everglades, closer to Orlando, breeding population in the pine woods of Ocala National Forest and the northern peninsula, all the way through the panhandle and beyond. I mean, ideally, there would be panthers recovering historic territory throughout the southeast, and that would give the genetic diversity to keep the species healthy and alive oh wow wouldn't that be i mean that's what needs to happen oh for sure uh we just need more big areas that are relatively undisturbed and people to contribute to that and we need states to to go on board with it you know that's just so important those those corridors and having big big chunks of relatively undisturbed land um so what about um what does constitute good habitat for panthers i know you guys are down in the swamps of southern florida but you know a long time ago they were just about everywhere so what Mm -hmm. what would be considered ideal habitat well i'm going to make a statement here that i think the best and ideal habitat for a panther is a place where people will tolerate them and be willing to have them on the landscape. I think that's the number one variable that is a barrier to their recovery. Um, Because aside from that, a panther needs prey species. They love white-tailed deer. They love feral hogs. They'll eat raccoons, coyotes, all sorts of things. Um, And they need enough woods and enough cover where they can go raise a den. But I've seen some of the places where panther dens are located, and it might be in a palmetto ledge on the edge of a subdivision somewhere. Like they don't have to have truly pristine wilderness, but they need a lot of connected green space. And so they, in my opinion, would do just fine in the farm country uh, across much of America where they still have deep woods for their deer stand or hedgerows on the edge of the farm fields and, you know, civiculture and pine forest and all of that. Um, the green space is there. It's just a matter of inviting them back. Yeah. So Carlton, we're seeing, and, and we've done a couple of 
we're doing some television work with with the state of Mississippi and the state of Alabama. Both the the black bears around here are making a big comeback, and people are welcoming them. People are excited to potentially have black bears. I mean, there are a few people that are, that aren't, but it, it it seems like that would be the same track. Um, that the Panther could take. I mean, it, I mean the, the work that's been done to in the, in both those States to help black bears come back. I, I just, I think people would embrace the idea that these Panthers could travel up here. And I think there's a lot of people that would protect them. That's really encouraging to know. Cause I think, you know, it's not just a matter if, if we wait for the females to find their way North of I four, North of I 10, um, it's going to be a long time. You know, best case would be if, Georgia decided they could have Panthers in the Okefenokee Swamp again, and they helped give them a head start. Or Florida wants to put them in the Apalachicola National Forest, and then all of a sudden they're in Conecuh National Forest in Alabama, and they're starting to repopulate the longleaf pine belt of the southeast. Um, so that's the type of stuff that we have an opportunity to open conversations on. And I think the black bear, like you said, is a great – it's kind of like a gateway animal for the panther. Like people – um, pe- people start to coexist with a black bear and the black bears in some ways are more of a challenge because they're going to come eat your garbage. Now, Panther might come eat your pet goat, which is <laughs> a little bit less popular. So there's some different kind of protections that need to happen. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the habitat is miraculously still there. And I, I missed a chance to characterize the Florida wildlife corridor in a more detail. So I'll, I'll take a moment there. Yeah, that's sure, okay. Florida has a little bit of a not unique, but somewhat unique situation in the Southeast that we do have a lot of public land already. I mean, at least compared to somewhere like Texas, which is like 3% public land, Florida is 27% public land. So we have the national parks, national reserves, state forests, national forests. This whole network of public land constitutes about 10 million acres of the state. The Florida Wildlife Corridor as we got designated in the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act in 2021 is 18 million acres. And so it's about half the state of Florida by landmass, 10 million of which are already protected as public land. So you have these stepping stones of the corridor. If you're coming down, coming out of the Everglades moving north, you have these big patches of green that hold most of the state's wildlife or a lot of the state's wildlife. But with our development pressure, it's the farms and the ranches and the timberlands that are the green space that holds all that together. And those are the things that are getting converted to housing and development at a pretty alarming rate. So the goal of the Florida Wildlife Corridor is to have this protected network of public conservation lands and private working lands that are under conservation easement or some form of long-term protection. And so you end up having this connected whole that works. And conservation clearly doesn't stop at the Florida line. And so from Georgia to Alabama, you know, it's exciting to think about ways that that connected landscape can continue. You know, when we talk about these wildlife corridors, of course, wildlife is at the forefront of the conversation because it's so vital for their protection and future. But these corridors are also protecting the green infrastructure. We as humans need to survive. They're also protecting Uh, so many vital pieces for our economy. I mean, here in Florida, if we don't 
protect the Florida Wildlife Corridor, we're potentially looking at losing economies of scale for our agricultural sectors. And that's putting our timberlands, our cattle ranches, our citrus groves at risk of being lost to development as well. You know, and there's so many other species that benefit from this. I mean, we, we're big fans of the wild turkey, especially mm-hmm. the Osceola wild mm-hmm. turkey. And and I think that, that, that it's benefiting from this, this mm-hmm. corridor as well. But I'll, I'll, I'll also say that when you look across the the North America and the world in many places, wildlife corridors are so important because there are species of animals that need to migrate. And w- when we've created these interstate systems and that's right, it, 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 it messes that up mm-hmm. and that they need to, they need the, they need to be able to migrate. Right. And you know, Florida is the, the king of the toll road and they just keep piling more and more of them on. Uh, and that was hit on on the show and how important it is to quit segmenting our land so much. Yeah. I tell you, there, there was a shot that you guys did in that documentary. It was a time lapse showing undeveloped Florida around the edge of some communities, the time lapse showing homes being built and wildlife habitat being lost. It was pretty eye-opening, mm-hmm. Lane. It's incredible how, I mean, however y'all did that, my hat's off to you because that was, it, that told a very, very vivid story of what's going on. We had a combination of kind of shots like that. Some were just drone aerial imagery that showed the intensity of new sprawl up against the edges of wild places. And then the editors of the film and our partners at Grizzly Creek Films um, were able to take Google satellite imagery. And you can rewind the clock back to like the 1970s or 80s and you can play it forward like a movie and you just watch the development marching in. Hmm. And so there's it was a mixture of live video versus satellite imagery that kind of painted that picture of how fast it can change. The ability to go do that on Google Maps is not unique to Florida. Our challenges are particularly acute to some degree as a peninsula. But the science is clear that we need to protect wildlife corridors across this country. The Nature Conservancy, under the leadership of a scientist named Mark Anderson, have done incredible work mapping a network of resilient lands um, across our country. And we're starting to see other states really take great stride in passing legislation to protect corridors in the West in particular. Um, in, In Wyoming, we've seen a lot of progress towards the protection of migratory corridors under the leadership of Arthur Middleton and others in the last year. That's great news. Um, and I, I see this more and more. Um, it seems like people from both sides of the fence, you know, this is a seems to be more of a bipartisan movement where, uh, you know, people are coming together uh, to, to work on these things. Definitely. I mean, we're talking here about the things that that we as humans fundamentally need to to survive, but we're also talking about something we as human beings all want, which is a a healthy and vibrant um, natural environment to call home. And in Florida, we're gaining a thousand residents a day. Mm -hmm. I would argue a lot of those people are coming here because of our land and water, because of our beaches. Um, and and they certainly don't want to be a part of their destruction either. Yeah, that's a tough situation. I mean, you know, people have to live somewhere. Yeah, they have to live in a house, and 
So we're we're talking bad about something that that we have to have. And hey, and, and Florida is a, a great place to live. And it's a yeah, it's a <laughs> difficult conversation to have. There's still time and there's still room to accommodate people and not do it in a way that cuts nature to pieces. And that's that's the opportunity. And and we're we're doing it right now in an incentive based approach where you know ranchers and farmers who want to do conservation make the resources available for them to sell a conservation easement. And it effectively steers that development away from those sensitive areas and pushes it closer to existing urban areas. And so that's, that's kind of the balance that we see is having thriving urban cores with suburbs packed a little bit closer, fewer brand new greenfield developments where you pick a place in the middle of nowhere and decide it's going to be the next city because that makes it harder for things to fit together. But there's a lot of room to have the growth and have the preservation still. Yeah. We can, we can choose where to live in a, in a less sensitive area. Carlton, are y'all able to, are the, the ranchers down there, are they supportive of the Panther project? Cause it, it seems like <clears throat> if you went back in time, they probably weren't as supportive and maybe even trusting of what people were wanting to do. That's a great question. There are um, lots of ranches in Florida with a lot of different attitudes towards the panther. So I can't I can't characterize it in one brushstroke. But compared to the past, I mean, the reason we don't have panthers in the east is largely because of people who didn't want conflict with livestock or perceived conflict with livestock. Um, but one of my favorite characters in the film is a man named Elton Langford. He's a multi-generational Florida rancher. I think he's like 11th generation going back to the Spanish hmm. um, and, you know, real cowboy. And he kind of sums it up that the rancher and the panther are both endangered species because in the face of the development pressure that we're seeing in Florida, you know, what happens for the panther happens to the rancher too. And he goes on to say that, people aren't going to spend millions of dollars to save the cowboy, but they'll spend millions of dollars to save a future for wildlife or an endangered species. If he and that cat can get along, you know, that rancher benefits because Hmm. ultimately it can help motivate the policies that are going to save a future for agriculture in our state. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and we, you know, we, we subsidize farmers and, and things like that. Uh, you would think we could come up with ways to subsidize for, you know, lost livestock, if, if that's the case. Yeah, and that does exist. So it's something called Payment for Ecosystem Services, PESS. Um, and we've seen a few different mechanisms being tested out in southwest Florida um, around panther predation. It's going to be key to figuring out the recovery of this species in the long term. I mean, at an anecdotal level, my dad always says he'd rather have one panther than 10 coyotes on the ranch. Um, and, and you know, that's due in part to how they hunt. And so there's um, definitely incentive for that return of the panther, but, but that's got to be balanced out with um, ranchers being compensated for their losses as well. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a true story about 15 years ago, um, I traveled to a, a, a place to turkey hunt in south central Florida. 
and um, and we went to this place for numerous years. And one year it was covered in just all day long. You'd see wild pigs even in the middle of the day, which is kind of rare up here. But down there, we all day long we were seeing pigs and mama pigs with baby pigs. And a couple of years later, we went back to the same ranch and there were no pigs. You could not see a pig. And we were told that a a panther had moved in. And that the panther was that because of that panther, they were it had knocked out those wild pigs. I, I, that's what I was told. I thought that was fascinating. We'll take four of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's the silver lining of the panther, and I think you know they will take young calves now and again, um, but they'll eat a lot of pigs and they'll eat some coyotes, and so you can you can kind of balance that out. Carlton, let me tell you this story. So uh, this was probably ten or twelve years ago down at that same ranch in florida i I was taking a guy turkey hunting who had never killed very many turkeys and we were it, it was my job that morning to take him and get him a turkey and it was real important and the guy had it told me right where to go set up and there was all these landing there were these palm trees and the, these palm the what when they fall down there it's like potato chips it makes so much noise and we sat down at the edge of this pasture, and I, I put it was Al Cheatham, put Al on one side of the tree, and I got I was facing exactly opposite of him on another, and we both could see this big pasture. And a turkey started gobbling, and just doing exactly what we wanted to do. And some hens started flying down on Al's side, and and the turkey still gobbling it, and and the. I can hear him flying down. I can hear him cutting and cackling and carrying on. And Al starts whispering really loud at me, just real excited. And I'm telling him, Al, please just be calm. That turkey will be here. Just please calm down. Just be quiet. Be quiet. And he just kept on and on and on. And Al, you've got to be quiet. But I couldn't turn around to see what he was wanting me to see because of these palms were so noisy. I was scared to move. Well, after everything we didn't kill the turkey and move it. I said, how, what was going on? He said, Oh my gosh, there was a long tailed cat out there chasing the, the hens when they landed in the pasture. <clears throat> and I just wanted to throw up. All I had to do was turn around and, you and could I could have seen, have seen yeah. that panther. And it's to this day, it's the biggest regret I have in my life. I have a lot of regrets. Yeah, that's a lot that's of the regrets. Biggest yeah. regret I have in my life. That's a big deal, Bobby. That's a big deal. Makes me want to start turkey hunting again because you hear those kind of stories. There, there was a video that was out on YouTube a couple of years ago down in South Florida, guys turkey hunting, and two male panthers got in a fight right in front of them. <laughs> it was the craziest That's thing. It's like, whoa. Um, stuff like I've been chasing panthers for years and never had a moment to witness like that. And just last week, I was talking to a buddy who hunts a lot in South Florida, and his friend was set up on – set up on his decoy, some kind of robo decoy turkey out in front of him. Mm. And a Florida panther had snuck up behind him. He never heard it, never saw it coming. And it literally jumped over him and landed on his decoy and like started attacking the decoy. And he was like locked eyes with it, like, you know, 10 feet away. And he, he said he shot a shotgun off at like a 90 degree angle. And the thing jumped 10 feet in the air and disappeared. Wow. Well, our own Greg Briggs. You know, it just yeah, happened yeah. to him was a couple of years ago. Yes, we we've got some footage, guys, that we could share. We can I'll send you in an email, but it's on our face, our our Instagram page, where a guy that works here was scouting for turkeys, and two panthers just kind of 
walked up on him yeah. and then laid down and watched him. Yeah, just laid down and watched him. <laughs> Whoa. It was pretty wild. Wow. It scared him to death. Yeah, it did. It did. So we were we were talking about the pigs and how they actually seem to benefit the Panthers as a as a food source. Um are there any other like non-native or invasive species in Florida that do not benefit Panthers? Mm. Northerners. Good <laughs> Humans. Uh, how are they so dealing the, with the big snake and eating them, but all, all uh, the human encroachment uh, is bothering uh, Okay. Yeah. Pythons, it's it's a little bit of a peripheral influence. Pythons are obliterating the small mammal prey base in the southern Everglades, and hmm. panthers eat small mammals. So in the places where the panther territory overlaps with the python territory, there's likely some competition. I mean, if a if a python came across an adult panther, it'd be food. But it, it's possible that a python would sneak up on a panther den when the mom's off hunting and and get a tasty morsel too. So, so I'm sh- I'm sure there's something going on, but it's it's not the primary driver. It's just another reason why we need to get panthers back to Central Florida and North Florida and beyond to just spread them out so they're less susceptible to all the pressures on their current landscape. For sure. You know, guys, I'm, I'm sure y'all are familiar, but across the deep south, we've got uh, – there there are creeks named Panther Calling Creek, and there's management area, Panther mm-hmm. Panther Management. They, Panther, Panther Swamp. They, Panther they, Swamp. They've, uh, <clears throat> every, every state has got something that makes – reminds you that they were once here. And anybody you talk to that's been a hunter for a long time knows somebody that has – Thought that they saw a panther. It, yeah. It, and it's, uh, I mean, there's guys raising their hand in here right now, Carlton. And they, it, it just makes for great conversations. And a lot of times these guys tell stories about seeing black panthers. And we know that's ne- not necessarily the case. That's right. But, it, it, boy, there, I don't think there's anything that has more mystique or lore in the deep south than, than, than hunting camp and hearing stories about panthers. No doubt about it. Oh, definitely. I mean, certainly for me, growing up in Central Florida, spending a lot of time at my family's hunt camp, that was so true. And, you know, it also, I think, fed into the magic of this project, right? Because there's so much folklore about this. And that's not just for our recent modern era. I mean, when you look back at, they found one of the most significant archeological discoveries on the continent of North America was the key Marco cat, which came from the Calusa people in Southwest Florida. And it was this half man, half Puma carving dating back hundreds, if not nearly a thousand years. And so it's interesting to think that that fascination with Pumas with panthers is so innate to us um generally and we see that as well in the culture of the of the Seminole and Miccosukee people who've been incredible stewards um of the panthers habitat and really guardians for them over the last century you know that I I wanted to ask if uh if the the catch if there was some kind of cultural um the part of the 
the the the Native Americans from that part of the world, if they, if you know what it represented to them back in the day. You know, hearing you talk about the names of those management areas and places referring to Panther in, in the Deep South, it reminds us that, you know, the Creek people, the ancestors to the Seminole and the Miccosukee, you know, were living in those lands. And the the Miccosukee and Seminole, which are Florida's native tribes living today, um, they have the Panther clan, which is their most powerful clan. It's the home to the medicine people within within that tribe well they didn't start the panther clan when they arrived at the florida line in the 1700s they had the panther clan going back to their original homelands Mm -hmm. throughout the southeast so you know that that is deeply rooted in in their culture because it was deeply rooted in those places wow i love hearing about that oh yeah that's neat when you guys want to do a project like what the path of the panther uh, national geographic just seemed like the perfect place to go but h- how important to this overall project was the national geographic it was really important i mean aside from being like a personal ambition of mine to have a feature story in national geographic that took till i was 45 years old to actually accomplish um it's also a uniquely powerful brand and platform for this type of communications. There are very few highly regarded media brands left in the world that are truly bipartisan. Hmm. And our ability to share a story that was equally embraced by anyone across the political spectrum is a testament to kind of the universal respect that the National Geographic brand still holds today. Um, so that was a big part of it. <clears throat> and a lot of a lot of expertise. I mean, our we we there are programs within the National Geographic Society working to save wild places and oceans around the world. And you know, we were able to develop our political and communication strategies for Florida in consultation with folks at National Geographic and their impact story lab and other places that helped um kind of lend a lot of strength to what was already a strong story for florida well i, th- I think respect is that mm-hmm. is a big word mm-hmm. there when it comes to it. so were were you guys working with national geographic when this happened or was this some, an idea that you pitched to national geographic it was both i mean uh I got my first grant from National Geographic Society in 2011 for the first Florida Wildlife Corridor expedition. Um, I founded that project in 2010. The science had been there for for decades. You know, people talking about an ecological greenways network and needing to connect up the landscape. But my contribution to that was let's name it Florida Wildlife Corridor, so my mom will know what we're talking about. Um, and to start building that foundation. We did expeditions through Florida films for PBS, other books, but kind of trying to put this concept on the map, national geographic invested in multiple grants across multiple years, including their first grant for the path of the Panther project in, in 2015 that became the foundations for the magazine story. And then later the film. Okay. Good deal. 
So the, you know, the conservation easement concept uh, makes a lot of sense. And as I get older, I realize more and more how important, you know, making the difference is in in our individual lifetimes. Um, And so I think it's a good idea for any landowner to seriously consider doing something like that, because um, you know, I want to be remembered when I'm gone and, and I'd oh, like yeah. to think that I'm doing things that, that make a difference. Um, and it's not always, you know, monetary, but putting your land in an easement is going to keep it from being developed. And, and that's a big deal. And I think people need to consider that more and more. Is that how the, the connection in the wildlife corridor works with private lands is through conservation easements? Yeah, the conservation easements are a huge tool for saving the Florida Wildlife Corridor. I estimate the vast majority of the protection needed across the next decade can be accomplished with conservation easements. There's certainly going to be cases where we need to buy public land. That's when the landowner might not be in a position to keep owning it into the future and they need to sell. And purchasing it for the public is the only tool left in the toolkit. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of what we need to accomplish can be done through easements. And take, for example, next week, May 23rd, there's going to be a meeting of the governor and cabinet in Florida. Six times a year, they get together and they vote on one of their orders of business is voting on properties that are up for protection within the Florida Wildlife Corridor. At next week's cabinet meeting, there are going to be 13 different properties spread across the state from the pine woods, the panhandle down to the heart of the Everglades that are being considered for conservation. Of those 13 properties, there's one that's a straight acquisition by the state. The other 12 are conservation easements with farmers and ranchers. Great. That's good news. Is, yeah, it is. is any of them in particular uh, in a in a better spot than than the others that that you guys are really rooting for? They're all in great spots, and the and the good thing is, by the time they get to this stage, by the time they get to the governor and cabinet, they're so well vetted and under contract that they almost always go through. So there's there's a high probability there'll be there, there will be another forty thousand acres of protection that gets announced next week, and all of the pieces are exciting. One of them is a beautiful stretch of habitat in an area called Fish Eating Creek that is really key to the recovery of the panther right now. Females have been detected in the area. There's others that are the last remnant piece of old growth longleaf pine in a certain stretch of Ocala National Forest and the list goes on. But that's one of the things that we do at our team. Tori and I work with a impact media company called Wild Path, Path Path of the Panther project is our kind of key project. But another thing we do is send out photographers and videographers to tell the story of all the land that the state of Florida is protecting to try to keep the movement growing and keep everyone's excitement up for saving more land and, you know, finishing the job of saving this corridor in the coming decades. That's fantastic. Uh, In fact, we have a a national wildlife refuge uh, in Mississippi. It's, it's in the Mississippi river Delta and it's called Dahomey. National Wildlife Refuge, um, but there is a pocket of agricultural farms between Dahomey and the Mississippi River that also has a lot of really good black bear habitat, 
Um, and I've always, I, I lived in that area for a while and I've always wanted something like that, you know, a corridor to happen between Dahomey and the Mississippi River. Um, and then maybe someday it could move on and connect more. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it follows a Highway 82 corridor. Um, and it, it would be neat to see this become contagious in other states. Um, and I was also going to mention, uh, I was reading like your acknowledgments and such, and I, I didn't see Disney anywhere on there. Um, they've got a, they've got a lot of land, uh, that I would think would, would be in a good area. Um, have you guys worked with them any? Disney has a great legacy of conservation and they sit in a really critical part of our state, um, truly in the headwaters at the Florida Everglades there on Reedy Creek. I mean, water starts flowing south into the greater Everglades ecosystem at Animal Kingdom. And so we've been, yeah, really encouraged to see how much land they've protected surrounding our parks uh, or surrounding their parks, but also in other key critical areas of the corridor in partnership with the Nature Conservancy. They protected a piece of land called the Disney Wilderness Preserve um, that is home to one of Florida's last undeveloped lakes mm-hmm. uh, there in central Florida and is a glimpse of, of what once existed in the Kissimmee area. Um, and they've been a great partner to our conservation and storytelling work. As you mentioned, the film is available to view on, on Hulu and Disney+. Plus. That's right. Good to know. Yeah. <clears throat> well, they, you know, uh, gosh, when we've, we've all been to, I mean, there's been a shot show in Orlando and we stay, oh, yeah. there's turkeys all around that part of the, of, of, of Orlando. That's a, and there's a big, Disney's got a huge footprint. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I looked it up. It's 27,000 acres. And based on what I was reading about half of that is developed and the other half is extremely wild. Hmm. So Disney is a, it's a good analogy to what also happens with our military bases in Florida and, you know, Disney can control what goes on within their property, but they, they're not yet in position to, you know, help keep the orange grove next door from turning into a subdivision and so forth. So, you know, there's this idea that they could potentially buffer their own backyard by helping get involved with conservation beyond their particular ownership. That's what they did with this Nature Conservancy Disney Wilderness Preserve that Tori mentioned. But we've got three really major military landscapes in Florida. Um, One of them is the Avon Park Air Force Range, which is in the northern Everglades area, south of Kissimmee, north of Lake Placid, Florida. The other is Eglin Air Force Base in the Panhandle. Um, And then there's a Camp Blanding National Guard training facility kind of north of Ocala National Forest. Two of these are already what the Department of Defense calls Sentinel Landscapes. It's a partnership with Department of Defense, Department of Agriculture, and Department of Interior. And they're working on large landscape conservation surrounding military installations. And it's not just motivated for wildlife, it's actually for the military mission because base buffering, you know, having a subdivision pop up right on the edge of your bombing range is a conflict with your ongoing operations. And so 
they are paying actively for conservation easements on cattle ranches and timberlands surrounding these and in, in effect building really large hubs for conservation in the corridor. And it's a model, there's 10 of these Sentinel lands projects around the United States and potentially more to come. And this could be kind of that vision that you were talking about of helping make this contagious. Great news. Yeah. It, you know, it's just fascinating to know that, I mean, this just takes a lot of, let's face it, it takes politics to make some oh, of this yeah. stuff happen. And it sounds like you guys have got some some people that, that care about what's going on and and they're getting they're I'm sure they're getting great information from you guys. And then you got documentaries like this Path of the Panther mm-hmm. that just kind of gra- get the groundswell from the, the you know, people like us mm-hmm. I- I interested in it. And it's I mean, it's just so I'm so thankful for people like like, like Tori and Carlton that are doing what they're doing. It is interesting, you know, because we often focus on such a micro level, you know, about wildlife management. What are we going to do on our place? You know, what are we going to plant? What are we going to do? What are we going to benefit wildlife habitat? But, you know, what they're having to achieve across the broader landscape is it's a big deal. It really is. It is. And, uh, you know, I think I can speak a little bit for the hunting community because I'm a hunter. But uh, I feel like in the last 20 years, hunters have evolved to where they're not as much just managing for that game animal that right. they want to hunt. Right. We're, we're managing for a diverse ecosystem. And what's what's good for one is is good for many of them. Mm-hmm. And so um, being part of that is what you're looking for. It right. has changed and, for the uh, good, which is great. Yeah. You know, and and hunters are willing to uh, you know, uh, if the state of Florida puts some kind of if you had to buy a hundred dollar tag, mm-hmm. if you were coming down there hunting, and that hundred dollars went to help panthers, we'd do that, right? If you'd let us turkey hunt. <laughs> <laughs> so, out of curiosity, how many turkey hunters did you catch in your camera traps? Caught a lot of turkeys in the camera traps. Okay, um, can you send us some pins? <laughs> yeah, some of these were on you know properties that you know private ranches and different national wildlife refuges. But yeah, the the turkeys would cruise the trail. Um, we saw we saw some interesting people show up where maybe you wouldn't expect the people to show up now and again, but they didn't seem to be carrying a turkey gun. Okay. Yeah. Is there any other things that I mean? When you these five years of gathering this footage, you know, is there anything anything else notable you ran into? Are there any other cat species? We see a lot of bobcats, yeah. which are which are um, yeah, really beautiful and nice to show up on the cameras. And we had we we endured some crazy stuff, and we had Hurricane Irma in 2017 drown a bunch of our cameras. Uh, we got some burnt. We got some burned up in a wildfire. Um, we got some stolen that I think maybe were catching some people do doing illegal palmetto berry harvest and uh, didn't want to have the evidence on hand. I actually had somebody shoot one um, with a 223 round, um, which. It was a little bit frustrating. Um, <laughs> I imagine so. The, the landowner gave me permission to put it on the fence line, uh, but I don't think he communicated to all the hunters using the property that he had given permission for the camera to be on the fence line. So someone was defending their um, Yeah, that was, that was painful to see all those cameras get flooded. I mean, it, it, we're not talking about a $100 trail no, camera here. No, no, You know, no. we're talking about a top-of-the-line SLR and all these other crazy things attached to them 
I bet oh, that yeah. hurt. <laughs> it did. But what was cool is the memory cards are water resistant enough. There was still some cool stuff hidden on those cards once we pulled them out of the swamp. So still glad we left them, left them rolling, but it still hurt. That's good to know. Hey, Tori, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I, I heard back earlier you mentioned growing up uh, and going to the hunting camp. Uh, did you are, are you a hunter? Did you grow up hunting? You know, I am not a hunter today. I um, certainly grew up spending a lot of time in the lids with my dad and brother, though. Um, yeah, I grew up spending time with my family's work and cattle ranch and – Family has certainly fostered a deep passion for for the outdoors and and spent a lot of time trailing my brother and dad turkey and and deer hunting growing up. Um, I definitely love to get outdoors and um, often found camping, hiking, fishing um, still today, but prefer to be armed with a camera if I'm if I'm in the woods most of the time. There you go. That's all that matters. And these, you know, these vast public lands are just great places to get out and explore. You know, you don't. Definitely. All the older growth stuff is just beautiful and you can pick a new spot every time, you know, Uh, and I love private land too, but you know, you're limited to that one space. So having these big, vast public lands is great. As a conservationist, I, don't see a community with a deeper love of the outdoors or or wild spaces than the hunting community for exactly, exactly that. At some Mm -hmm. level you have to love just being out there to go and spend that much time and studying these animals as well and getting to know their movements and behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't, couldn't say that any better than what you said. I mean, we, we love it. And, and so Wow. I, I just figured there was probably some event in your life that made you just kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get involved in this. And I, yeah. So, um, I mean, similar to what you're talking about with, with land management, I definitely grew up watching my family, um, really manage for, for wildlife and a healthy ecosystem. And we carried so much excitement if we saw a black bear, walk through or, you know, gopher tortoises were, uh, calling the ranch home. That meant the ecosystem was healthy and something was, was going right for me. I think that passion for land and conservation, um, really, I I became fascinated with working in the context of Eastern and Southern Africa, which I think happens for a lot of people interested in conservation. We think of conservation as something that happens halfway across the world, whether it's in the Amazonian rainforest or the Serengeti. So I spent um, my early and mid twenties in sub-Saharan Africa, working for conservation international in South Africa, Kenya, and and also in Rwanda Um, had such an incredible experience, but then every time I'd get on a on a plane and come home and look out that window, similar to Carlton, would realize that another corner of my own backyard was missing, and that frankly it was somewhat hypocritical for me to be working on conservation at the time in in northern Kenya while we were losing the Everglades to shopping centers and subdivisions and things that definitely weren't necessarily as sexy or exciting in my mind to be working on, but equivalently important. 
Um, also have to give a lot of credit to Carlton here as a friend and mentor constantly in my ear, urging me to come home. And um, I'm so glad I did. I mean, what we've accomplished here with the Path of the Panther Project has been um, really beyond my wildest dreams. We've seen, obviously, the production of this full-length feature documentary, which is awesome. But the reason we did it was to see lasting change in the landscape. And through this project, together with partners, we've been able to pass a piece of legislation called the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act with bipartisan unanimous support. It is the most robust piece of wildlife corridor legislation um, that, that currently exists in the United States. We've also seen a incredible investment from our state policymakers um, in the conservation of, of lands within the corridor in the last year. I think officially we can say we've passed just over a billion dollars of legislation directly benefiting our land conservation programs, such as the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program in Florida Forever. Um, but this budget that was just passed featured another billion dollars. So I'm hopeful the governor signs that and we can celebrate $2 billion worth of funding for land acquisition within the corridor, which is remarkable progress for our state. Holy That's cow. fantastic. That is. Yeah. yeah. Richie, well, we need to hit the horns for Tori and for Carlton. That, that, <laughs> Heck and yeah. That, that is fantastic. I, I, I need that horn with me just full time. Every oh, time yeah. I, yeah, Bobby likes Say something that. impactful. Yeah. Uh, it I'm I'm just grateful to hear folks that are passionate about making a difference, you know, mm-hmm. you you chose to do this with your life and make a difference. Uh and I uh it's just so fulfilling. Uh I I'd like to think I'm making a difference as well and I just want to encourage especially our younger listeners that are thinking about what they're going to do when they grow up. Uh consider choosing something that's that's going to make a difference right i tell you what if you watch this path of the pan if you're a young person and you watch this path of the pan you can see the dedication that this whole team had for this project it it starts off and it's hard to watch at the beginning there's a, a one of these beautiful cats is hit by a car yeah and so but they're trying to learn from it and they're uh, it, i mean this kind of stuff is, uh, you can just tell watching these guys how in, in the way they produced it and how they care about the subject matter. That that was tough, and uh, but they, and then they had a whole team of vets and they're l- learning about the Lenny. They and they they had one of the cats that uh, they uh, repaired its legs and would was uh, you know just like you would a human person's leg. Oh, Rehabilitated yeah. this cat and I, I mean it, it's just. And then it went out in the wild and started yeah. catching deer and stuff. Yeah. Watching it run, you just wanted to stand up and just cheer. Hoorah! It's just, it's just great. I, look, I, I, I want to make sure. So let's let's tell the websites and the Instagram pages. People need to follow y'all, uh, please. What would be the first, path of the? I, I follow Path of the Panther. I think on Instagram. Yes, at Path of the Panther on Instagram and Facebook, as well as. Carlton's page at Carlton Word. And then if everybody listening could take a moment to go visit pathofapanther.com and hit that take action button, um, sign our pledge, which will also keep you up to date with 
ongoing calls to action that we're going to have over the coming months. We have some really critical pieces coming up for the corridor and every voice counts does not matter if you call Florida home federal policymakers need to hear that you care about the future of the Panther and the future of this landscape. Um, and then help us get the word out, help us share this story with the world. We are going to have comprehensive educational curriculum coming later this fall that will be applicable for classrooms all across the country as well. So really um, could use lots of help sharing this message. Absolutely. Carlton may, may have some great thoughts to add on that. Yeah. And, no, you, you said it all. I'll just, I'll say the website again, path of the Panther.com and it's where you can take action and also see the links to the film and the new book and, and kind of get involved with the project. And if I may, I'll just also add something that I think is so important. You know, you watch a film like path of the Panther, you open an issue of National Geographic, and it's really easy to get distracted looking at pictures of people treading through swamps like we're doing or trapezing through rainforest and Amazonia and think, how do I become a conservationist? How do I take action in my own backyard? And the reality is we all have such an important role to play. And the most simple actions make a huge difference. I don't care where you call home in this country, showing up at your county commission meetings and advocating for the protection of your wildlands matters. Um, and I would just really urge everyone to think about what they can be doing um, in their own backyard in this community of all, my gosh, is, is doing so much to advocate for that. Well said. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Well done. So, uh, look, Lanny, have you got? Uh, are we? I guess we're kind of wrapping down. But have you got another question? Got any comment that you want to make there? Or are we going to go straight and ask them a trivia question to see how smart they are? About this? Uh, Let's ask them a trivia question. <laughs> so, so Tori, Carlton, but, but we like to have fun, and uh, we didn't know that much about you guys. But we typically we we like to ask our guests a trivia question, and we get we give away a prize. Somebody that's left a review of our podcast. If you get the trivia question right, they get to win a prize. And uh, so we kind of did something, a, a, a kind of a generic question. So, Tori, uh, uh, you can ask Carlton. Carlton, y'all can communicate with each other but before you give us back an answer. And I'm going to turn it over now. We have a mustachioed, our audio sensory specialist is going to ask this question. <laughs> uh, Rob <laughs> Kenny. Uh, Rob, would you if I'm, if, please you know, tell us who they're playing for and everything. Yeah, we're playing for uh, PCA coach. He says, I learn something every time I'm in the woods when I listen to this podcast. So we're playing for PCA coach. And the question is this, true or false? Johnny Cash was once arrested in Starkville, Mississippi for picking flowers. Picking flowers. Picking flowers? Arrested. <laughs> Taken to jail. I mean, we know I'm going to say true because it sounds so ridiculous. That it's probably true. That is true. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. At Mississippi State University. Yeah. Arrested. Yep. Sure did. So, uh, could you yeah, that's about a mile the Tim gym. About a mile from my house, yeah, actually. Outside the Tim Gym. Is that right? So, Where here's the Tim what. Tim Gym used to be. The way the, ma the man in black 
told the story of his mishap in the song Startville City Jail from his 1960 album Live at San Quentin. He was innocently picking dandelions and daisies when the sheriff pulled over and carted him to jail where he spent the rest of the night and paid a $36 fine. Like many stories, he left out a couple of details like the public drunkenness and indecent exposure charges they had stuck him with, in addition to trespassing uh, to pick those flowers from a private residence. So, so it's, it's true. It's all oh, making Johnny. sense now. Oh, yeah. Well, if you told us he was naked and drunk, we would have said yes. Said yes, for sure, yeah. <laughs> oh, Lanny is like Johnny Cat. Every time you see Lanny, he's wearing black. He's the man in black. Speaking of development, uh, there's a there's a really nice plaque uh, on the site, and uh, at about the same time as they had a ceremony and put the plaque down, they slapped a big family dollar store right right on top of it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, my dad was there. I mean, at the at, at Mississippi State at the time. At Your the, dad was in prison when that no, happened. No, 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 he wasn't in prison, but he remembers oh. when it happened. How about that? Yeah. yeah. So, well, look, we taught y'all something. Carlton, there you go. Tori, y'all learned something I, today. If you I come to Mississippi it. State, Damn. don't be naked and picking flowers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look, okay, right. this is uh, we've really enjoyed having you guys. And uh, is there anything else we need to make sure we that, that you guys point out a cover? We've we, we we're such fans. We want to make sure that we do. No, I just I want to thank you it. guys. Yeah, thank you. And thank uh, thank all the hunters and fishers of the world who are here, out here. there every day in these places and giving voice and passion to them. And the more we can connect all of our passions to these big solutions like wildlife corridors, you know, the, the more of a legacy it's going to leave. So I'm, I'm thankful to be able to share the story with you and look forward to seeing where it goes from here. Oh, that, that's awesome, and we we lo- we appreciate y'all's attitude. We also want to se- as a thank you, we want to send you guys some of our new companions' clothing. I'm gonna email you guys a link, and y'all pick out what you like and what size you need, and and we'd be happy to send that to you. Sounds awesome. great. Thank you. I'll follow up on email with our uh, press kit and all that good stuff. Yeah. When okay. I go when I go pick daisies next, I'll have the right attire. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Thank y'all so much. We yeah. appreciate y'all. Thank you. Thanks Thank for being you guys. here. Bye. Bye. Wow. Lanny, we always talk about what we learn. Uh, There's a lot of effort goes into five years for to get oh, some yeah. of those shots. I mean, that is a long-term project. You know, been hearing about the wildlife corridor for years and seeing it put together. And, and like Dudley says, uh, you know, using that as a model for where we need to do in other places too. Because Florida is a very unique state. I mean, it, it, it's uh, – People think of Colorado or Wyoming as, no, as Florida. Rural, but Florida has is. more sportsmen, obviously, opportunities, I think, probably than any other state. So uh, it's really cool to see, you know, them trying to move the bigger pieces of the puzzle. You know, it's like I was talking before, we get so focused on, I'm worried about my clover. What's my clover looking like? What's it going to be doing for the turkeys? But there is a bigger, broader movement out there, which what you were talking about, Dudley. So that we always need to be not only aware of, but supportive of. You know, Florida may be the most diverse state no in its wildlife it. because, yeah. you know, their their wildlife department is managing saltwater, freshwater. Yeah. Bears, just think like the panthers, latitude that they cover, you know, deer, from the keys all the way quail. up to the panhandle. Yeah. yeah. Very stuff. diverse. Alligators, crocodiles. Crocodiles. I think they've got some saltwater crocs in part of Florida. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. do. I know they do. Sea turtles. Yeah. American crocodiles. Wow. 
So, uh, look, I wanted to, you know, we didn't do the, uh, we didn't get to talk about blood on the biologics. It's brought to you by LS Tractors. But did y'all have anything that you wanted to throw out there? Oh, man, yeah. I mean, if, you know. It's, uh, well, while you're pulling that up, did y'all, you know, a few weeks ago we did a, a podcast with Nature is Metal. Mm-hmm. And over the Mother's Day weekend, they did a post that, that just really amazed me. It's a, It was a video camera that was on an osprey nest that was getting hit with hail. And this mother osprey laid there and spread her wings and protected and her, them up. her eggs. And she's just getting pounded by this hail. It was so touching just to see how she hung in there. And mother nature. I, it really, yeah, it, it gave me chill bumps. It, it really did. It's good. Y'all, y'all should go check that one out. I've got a blood on the biologic. Charlie Kuhn just All finished right. his U.S. Super Slam. Nice. Finished his 49th state this year. He's been doing it for four or five years and knocked it out this year. He's he's, he's with the Chasing 49 guys. 49. Wow. Like, I want to do that. Dead. I've got two states under my belt. I don't know how many I've got. <laughs> yeah, i got about 10. I counted them one time. I know I, I killed could... one in Utah and you didn't. Yeah, you did. Sure did. <laughs> that hurt my feelings. You had to bring that up. You killed a turkey with a mustache. Uh, but did you have a blood on the byline? Uh, well, no, no, not really. <laughs> all that, I mean, all that. I don't know if you wanted to talk. You know, uh, do some LS support talk a little bit. Well, I'm. I'm am I going to get to borrow the LS tractor this weekend? No. Oh my goodness, <laughs> man, Dudley, he's killing me. I know. I can't wait to get a place around here so I can. Use the LS tractor. I, I can't. I just can't explain how useful that little tractor is. That little backhoe is pretty. Interesting. I'm telling you, it's, we've been doing some work around the house. But I'm gonna get it. I know Richie, you're on the list. Bobby, you're on the list too. And, we're gonna get, we're gonna get it around everybody. And again, they are so handy. You know, every everybody used to think they needed a bigger tractor. You know, like a. I mean, oh, and, yeah. and and no, I mean it's just yeah, kind of like bigger boats. Some of these <laughs> compact tractors can do so much more than they could, uh, and that that LS package you you can just have a gas burner v8 truck and yeah you can pull get, it up on a trailer one. and and go do a bunch of work yep there you Good can stuff. so uh, i wanted just to look just take one si- a second uh we've had doc weddle on mm-hmm. the podcast a month or a couple months back and he posted on instagram so he's well, actually telling people but i think he's got some uh cancer and a kidney if, mm. if I read that correctly, and I just wanted to say, that, hey guys, Doc, we're we're praying for you. Yeah. We, we hate we hate to hear you going through that. So he ended his turkey season, and I think he's starting his treatments now. And uh, just wanted to pass that along, everybody, and keep him in their thoughts and prayers. Yeah, my buddy Robert Errington too. You know, he uh, suffered a stroke, so uh, everybody keep him on your mind. I did not. Dear meat for dinner. Dear meat for dinner. Sure did. Did so, not know that. Yeah, sure did. Wow, life is fragile. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And the older we get, the more I, I realize that. And uh, boy, sometimes we just think we're bulletproof. But you are getting old, Bobby. Well, Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one thing though, on the biologic, you got to get your spring cro- crops in the ground right now. We got spring protein peas growing here. We've planted uh, also some of the game changer soybeans that are coming up out of the ground. So uh, it's time. It's time. Y'all get out there and, and make it happen. Well, the beautiful thing about the peas and the soybeans, you can plant them all summer long. Oh, yeah. We just wanted to get a head start on it, so we got some in the ground. It's amazing how quick those peas jump out of the ground. They are uh, fast. I a, sent Rob a picture four, five days after I planted, four days after rain, they were emerging. Oh, those were his. No wonder. 
Mine looked way better than his. Yeah, he, Rob, you did. Yeah. Hit, hit the picture I sent you, the, the his picture ended up being better. So. Of course it is, because my crops look better. Well, they, mine were just cracking. Yours were jumping. Yeah, we, we <laughs> planted it on a Friday. It rained, and we came back Monday morning, and, and it was already up. Yeah, and now they're, no, they're, they're looking up. good. Yeah, they're looking really good out there. So, to, and, the, and the soybeans, too. Now we just got to make sure the resident neighborhood deer herd doesn't doesn't find them well i've also got eight tomato plants out there so hey rob you got anything to add yeah the low country game bird foundation they're giving away that sb3 uh 28 gauge the mr fox did you know 28. about this land i don't know <laughs> anything about I've heard it. Of it. No, just yeah playing. just reminding people to go buy a raffle ticket and support our friends in south carolina yeah no who are good. supporting mossy oak gamekeeper grants great calls it is it's in uh it rem- there was something that reminds you that something reminded you forgot me about of something else that I've already forgotten. <laughs> you oh, getting yeah. old, any Dudley? So uh, the 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 bonus asked Dudley. Dudley, you did a great job, both y'all. I, I thought y'all oh, good. Yeah, so that's 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 good. Rob is one unbelievable audio sensory specialist. He you know? is. <laughs> he's getting good at this yeah so what we've asked rob to sit in here and help make sure our, our audio has made leaps and bounds yeah through, through the years we got uh, we now we have a dedicated audio sensory specialist yes but we do our mustachioed friend rob, rob kenny kenny yeah anyway all right all right it's so time to go eat I'm <laughs> yeah i probably got 800 emails to check on and yeah. all that good stuff and listening to these guys this the to to tori and, and carlton they're so freaking smart man it's it's uh it's good yeah we want that to become contagious in other states yeah. and and you know uh the Not panther micro is, is great but, uh, that's, right. that's going to help everything sure is so yeah it is make a difference and it will make a difference. That's what we want to do. So, all right. So, uh, unless there's something else, why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.